Amen. How we doing, FCA? Uh, happy New Year. Happy New Year. Uh, hope you all have had a wonderful, wonderful uh, time resting at home uh, for a couple of weeks and are ready to get back at it this semester. Uh, who in here made New Year's resolutions? If you see it, if you make a New Year's resolution, see your hand. Nobody? Anybody make New Year's resolutions? Don't be shy. Anybody already break those New Year's resolutions? Anybody? Very good. Very good. All right, so tonight I want to ask you a very, very important question, okay? Everybody with me? A very, very important question. In fact, this question is so important that I think our lives, our spirituality, our relationship with the Lord rests on it. One of my favorite authors, A.W. Tozer, says what, you, what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. What comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. So here's my question. When you think about Jesus, the Son of God, what comes into your mind? When you hear the name Jesus, what picture do you get? What do you think about? What pops through your mind? Because we all have things that shape the way we view other things, and when we, what we believe about something always affects how we react and how we respond to whatever that person or that thing is. That's how powerful our beliefs are. They affect, ultimately, our actions. And so how do you picture Jesus? When, you, when, when I say the name Jesus, what do you think about? In fact, a lot of people picture Jesus different ways. And over the years, over the centuries, there have been renderings of Jesus. And I found this one online. This is quite interesting. You see this? And for some of us, listen, for some of us, apparently this is the view that somebody over the years have, has had about Jesus. Maybe this is how you think about Jesus. Really kind of ethereal, spiritual high above everything else, really clean, like Jesus would never have any dirt on his robe. He'd never have any grime under his fingernails. And if I'm honest, if this is the picture that you have of Jesus in your mind, I'm not sure this guy can help me very much. How about you? Like, like when, when your relationship problems pop up, are you gonna go to this guy? A porn addiction, you gonna go to this guy with a porn addiction? You gonna go to this guy with resentment and hate? You gonna go to this guy for help? Fortunately, what we read when we open the pages of scripture is not some ethereal, spiritual, clean version of Jesus with glowing behind his head and white skin and rosy cheeks and blue eyes. That's not the picture we get of Jesus in the word. It's like what we see and the historical Jesus in the Gospels is a man who was willing to get into the mud, into the muck. He was willing to get into the brokenness of this world. We see a man that surrounded himself with people who knew pain and sorrow and poverty and sin. And I think the reason many of us struggle with understanding the grace and the mercy of God, the reason we struggle 
thinking about God in a way that he understands me, that Jesus understands me and can sympathize with me and can know what I'm going through, it's because instead of turning to the Bible for our view and to get a proper viewpoint of Jesus, we default to this guy, spiritual clean Jesus. You see, if we don't have a proper view of Jesus, your life will lack the spiritual freedom and intimacy that he wants to have with you. And so what I want to do today is I want to share a story with you that speaks to this point, that speaks to the real Jesus and what ultimately he came to do. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn me to John chapter 4. John chapter 4, I want to help us get a real view of who Jesus was and what he came to do. And we see this in John chapter 4. I'm just going to start reading in verse 3. John chapter 4, verse 3 says this. So he, Jesus, left Judea and went again to Galilee. He had to travel through Samaria. Now, he was in Judea. Why was he in Judea? Well, we read in John chapter 3, who was he visiting? He was talking with a guy named Nicodemus, who was a spiritual elite. He was well thought of in the religious circle, and he wanted to have a, have a, a conversation with Jesus. And in John chapter 3 is where we get, you know, John three sixteen. We get the born again verses in John chapter 3. It's a very significant conversation that he had with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. And so now Jesus is traveling from Judea to his hometown where he spent most of his adult life in Capernaum in Galilee. And it says that he had to go through Samaria, which is interesting because he didn't. He didn't have to go through Samaria. In fact, the most common route from Judea to Galilee for the Jews was around Samaria because the Jews hated Samaritans. Historically, you had Jews and Gentiles living together there, ultimately getting married, ultimately having children. And so the purebred Jews thought these Samaritans were half-breeds. So they won't have anything to do with them. And so normally what would happen when a Jew wanted to go from Judea to, to, to Galilee is they would go around Samaria, but he didn't. So why in the world here would it say that he had to travel through Samaria? What it did not mean is that physically he had to travel through Samaria, that, but rather he was compelled. He felt like he must go through Samaria. We get the idea that there is a divine appointment that Jesus is going to have with somebody here. And sure enough, he meets this woman and has a fascinating conversation with her. Look at what it says in verse 5. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the property that Jacob had given his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about noon. I love this picture of Jesus, human, worn out, hungry, thirsty, and he just plops down beside this well. It was around noon. Verse 7, a woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, because his disciples had gone into the town to buy food. So Jesus is sitting there, this woman comes by, so let's get to know this woman a little bit because there are some context clues mixed in here that tell us a little bit about this woman. The main thing we know about this woman is that she's a loner. How do we know that? Well, she shows up at the well at noon. Nobody went to the well at noon. The well was a long way from this village, and so nobody's going to go all the way out there at noon because it's really, really, really hot. In fact, most of the women would go to the well very early in the morning. And they would get everything they needed for baths and for cooking and just clean water in order to take back to their home for their family. So they would go early in the morning while it was nice and cool. Nobody goes in the middle of the day. It's too hot. Not only that, we see that this woman is by herself coming to the well, which we know all you ladies do things in groups. Amen? 
Like, like you shop in groups, you go to bathroom in pairs. I don't know why, but you do. And so you women are always together. And so, so she is by herself in the heat of the day, and she's come to get water when it's really, really hot all alone. And so what we know about this woman is that she is a social outcast. And we're going to find out in a moment why. And it's because this woman has a past. She's the kind of woman that everybody in town knows about. She was a common subject on the rumor mill. And so she was an outcast. And so Jesus sits down, compelled to go through Samaria, meets this woman, and he asks her for a drink of water, which is taboo. Not only because he's a rabbi, especially because he's a rabbi. In fact, rabbis really didn't talk to women, not in public. And in fact, this is still practiced today for the most part. I, got to go, I had the opportunity to go to Israel uh, a couple of months ago. And on the plane ride there, there were uh, a lot of Orthodox Jews. And I don't know if any of you have ever seen an Orthodox Jew. Um, if you're from up north, they're, they're mainly a lot that live up in New Jersey and New York. And they wear very... Uh, so we're all white and black. They have the big wide rim hats and they have the curls that come down right here. And so we're on the plane and for the most part, these guys were pretty rude. I can see why Jesus didn't like them a whole lot because they were pretty rude. In fact, in fact, one of the guys I heard over, you know, I ever heard talking to one of the, um, the, the flight attendants and he went over there and he said, I can't sit in my seat. And she said, well, why can't you sit in your seat? He says, because there's a woman beside me. I mean, you've got a seat on a plane. What do you expect, right? There's a woman beside me. And she's like, well, sir, I'm sorry. You're going to have to sit down anyways. They won't talk to women. So it was, it was rare for, for a rabbi to talk to a woman in public. But what does Jesus do? He sits down on this well, and he addresses this woman, and not only a woman, but a Samaritan woman with a past, and he begins to have a conversation with her. And here's what he says. Verse 7. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, because the disciples had gone into town to buy food. How is it that you, a Jew, ask me for a drink? A Samaritan woman. She asked him, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who was saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Sir, said the woman, you don't even have a bucket. And the well is deep, so where are you going to get this living water from? Are, are you greater than our father Jacob? Like, she's starting to get the idea that there's something else going on here. Like, he's talking about something bigger. He's talking about something different. He gave us this well to drink. He gave us this well and drank from it himself and his sons and his livestock. Verse 13, Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never thirst again. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. So Jesus offers this woman, a Samaritan woman with a past, he offers her living water. She came to get regular water. He said, listen, I've got something bigger. I got something that will satisfy your thirst and you come here for something very temporal and I'm offering you something very eternal. And what does this woman say? Look at what she says in verse 15. Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and come here to draw water. She's in. Like he's preached the sermon. She's walked the aisle. 
She believes, like she wants that living water. Give her the water, Jesus. Like say the sinner's prayer, baptize her, and let's get on with this. And clean spiritual Jesus is just in it for her, yes. But the true Jesus wanted more. In fact, far more. Look at verse 16. He says, go call your husband and come back here. She says, I don't, I don't have a husband. And he says, you have said that correctly. I don't have a husband. For you have five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you said is true. So Jesus says, go get your husband. If you want the living water that I'm gonna give you, just, just go get your husband and come back. And what does she try to do? She, she tries to avoid getting into any type of messiness here, right? This guy's a rabbi. He doesn't wanna know my junk. She's trying to hide her junk from him. You see, he could have, Jesus could have taken her yes here, but he knows that she, if she's going to really experience true freedom, if she's gonna be able to drink from the living water and never thirst again, then she's gonna have to face some things. She's gonna have to deal with her past. And most importantly, she's gonna have to trust Jesus with it. What's Jesus doing here? Because seriously, you almost feel the need to pull Jesus aside, right? And go, Jesus, this is not how we do things, right? I mean, she wants the water. Just give it to her, right? This seems almost cruel that Jesus would bring this up to this woman. You almost want to coach him a little bit, don't you? Listen, just, just take her, just pray with her. Everything will be fine. Let's not get into all this stuff. But Jesus is opening wounds here, things that she is trying to keep hidden. And we all have wounds, don't we? We all have things in our past that we're ashamed of. You know the difference between a wound and a scar? A wound is open, right? A wound is open. A wound is fresh. A scar has been healed over. It doesn't hurt when you poke at it. But what's Jesus doing here? He's poking at fresh open wounds. And when you poke on a fresh, open wound, people do one of two things. They run away or they fight you. And what is this woman doing? She's running away. She's going, I, I, bring me your husband. I don't have a husband. She's trying to hide her past. And we spend a lot of energy trying to hide our wounds, don't we? Hide the things we're ashamed of. Hide the eating disorder, hide our jealousy, hide our hatred, hide that addiction, hide our depression, hide our anxiety. Like we go to great extents to hide the things that have wounded us. And whether it's your fault or whether it's somebody else's fault, it doesn't matter. All of us have been wounded in some way. And Jesus is saying, oh, this is so beautiful. Jesus is saying, listen, I know them already. I know your wounds already. There's no reason to try to hide them from me. I know them already. Bring them to me. Bring me your brokenness. Bring me your shame. You see, the way to experiencing the grace and the mercy of God is not through hiding your hurt. It's through dressing your wounds. It's through bringing them to Jesus. All of your brokenness, all of your pain. She had not yet, listen, she had not yet repented. She didn't come to him and say, I repent of all my sin. I repent of everything I've done. No, he says, listen, I have chosen you. 
sin and all. And I know you're gonna screw up, and I know you've messed up, but you know what? We have to bring that out into the light, and we have to deal with it. We can't continue to hide it. My oldest son just turned uh, 18 years old. And I know I don't look that old, do I? My, my oldest son just turned 18 years old, and, and uh, we had this kind of coming of age, hey, you're, a, you're, a man, you're becoming a man now, kind of dinner for him. We call it a Baptist bar mitzvah, even though, you know, we're not really kind of Baptist, but uh, uh, we call it a Baptist bar mitzvah. And, and so I invited about 15 or 20 men that had a huge part in his life to come together and to have a meal. And our whole focus was to tell stories about Landon and ultimately to speak things into him that we see in his life that God has put there, talents and abilities, and, and to call those up and to call those out so that he'll know that we're there, so that he'll know that we believe in him. And after all that, and after a time of really building it up and encouraging him, I, I, I was scared. And here, here's why I tell you why I was scared. It's because I was afraid that when an 18-year-old mind hears hey, God's gonna do something with you. God's got you. Like, he's given you talents and he's given you abilities and you can do great things for him. That can be overwhelming to an 18-year-old and when he begins to process that, he might think, you know what? If I mess up once and I'm through, there's no way I can live up to that. So I pulled him aside after and I said, listen, and I had a message for him and I got a message for you right now. 18 to 22 year old college students. And here's the message. You ready for this? You are going to screw up. You're going to mess up. And you're going to have deep regret. And you're going to be deeply embarrassed. And you're going to be ashamed. And you're going to think, how can I continue to call myself a Christian? What am I going to say to my friends? What am I going to say to my family? You're going to be ashamed of what you're going to do. Mark it down. It's going to happen. And listen, the worst thing you can do is to pull those things and to press them down and to try to hide them from God and try to hide them from the people around you. Because you cannot fight the devil in the dark. You've got to pull those things into the light. And this is Jesus pulling those things into the light. Say, listen, we've got to deal with those things. I know that you've sinned, and I love you anyways. I know that you're ashamed, and you don't have to be. I'm going to pay for those. And he's pulling that sin into the light. Listen, this is why communities like this are so important. This is why if you have a small group, it's so important, because we have to be, have a group that we can bring these, these sins to, these things to our past to, and say, hey, this is who I am. I heard a preacher say not long ago that if you are 99% known, you're not really known. Like someone can know almost every bit of you, but if you hold that one little, that 1% back, then you will always truly wonder, man, if they just knew this about me, they wouldn't accept me. And as long as we keep that 1%, then nobody really knows you. That's why it's important, because God knows. And you know what? He loves you enough to sacrifice his son for the very sin that you're worried about. 
And he's given us communities where we can be known for people to still love us and not gossip and not spread rumors and coach us back onto a path that is glorifying to him. So Jesus is touching her wound here. And he's telling her, listen, I'm not asking you to be a better person. I'm just asking you to bring your shame to me. Let me deal with it. Let me heal it. And this is hard to do, guys. I mean, it's much easier to quote John 3, 16, walk an aisle and say a prayer. But Jesus never asked you to do that. He wants you to come to him, all your ridiculousness, everything, all your foolishness, all your sin, all your shame. Look at how the woman responds. Verse 19, sir, the woman replied, I see that you are a prophet. (laughs) Understatement. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus told her, believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and it's now here that when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And the Father wants such people to worship him. He wants all people. He wants the Samaritans to worship him. He wants such people to worship him. The people who are going to worship, not by the law, but by spirit and by truth. God is spirit, and those who worship him will worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus says to her, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Do you realize the significance of that statement. The book of John is known a lot for the I am statements. Right? Lots of I am statements in the book of John. And here Jesus says, I am, I am, I am he. I am the, the Messiah. And how significant is it that the first person he reveals that he's the Messiah to is a shady Samaritan woman with a past? I mean, he could have told Nicodemus. The religious elite guy in John chapter three had that opportunity. He could have told his disciples. We don't even know at this point if he's told his disciples that he's the Messiah. We don't get that conversation with Peter until John chapter eight. And we still don't know if he's told them or not. And they left their families, left their friends, left their lives, their jobs, their career to follow him as a rabbi. So the first person he says, I'm the Messiah too, is a shady Samaritan woman with an interesting past One more thing. If you go back to how Jesus started this conversation, we remember that this woman brought her water jar. She brought a water jar to the well. And Jesus, knowing that this was going to happen, decided to make that water jar into an analogy. It's a pretty good one. Right? In fact, later on, Paul says that we are jars of clay that you and I, we're jars of clay, that we are meant to be filled with something. And that something is the truth and the spirit of Jesus Christ. We're meant to be be filled 
with the Holy Spirit, we're meant to be filled with truth. That's what, God's rigged the system, right? He's rigged the system that the only thing that truly gives us significance and fulfillment and purpose, the only thing that will not keep us going back for more, again and again and again, like this woman had to go back for water again and again at, at this well. That's what water does. It, it fulfills us for a moment, and then what happens the next day? I gotta go back and get some more water. And so Jesus looks at her and he says, listen, I'm going to give you a living water. You'll never have to go back again. You see, he has created us with this desire for something that nothing this world can satisfy. That's why you can have everything in this world. You can have money, you can have cars, you can have friends, you can have fame, you can have power, and still be one of the most miserable people in the world. Because God has rigged the system that you are a jar of clay and the only thing that will truly fulfill you is him. You see, for this woman, she kept trying to fill her water jar with men. And we don't know much about this woman other than the fact that she had five husbands, which is a little weird, yeah? Like, I mean, we don't know if this, like some scholars say this is a way to say that she was sexually promiscuous. You know, if we take her word for it, then I know why the current guy's not married to her because the first five are widowed, like they died, right? If the five before you died, like don't put me on that list, right? So we don't know, like we don't know much about this woman. But what we do know for her, it was men. She tried to fill that void in her. And maybe for you, it's something different. Maybe you're trying to fill your water jar with sexual partners or with friends or with jobs or with church or with hobbies or with wardrobes or cars. You can try and fill them with, with really good things. But you're trying to fill a void that's only meant for one. And that is to be satisfied with him daily. You see, we all, we all have addictive substitutes that we like to fill our jar with that, listen, will never, ever, ever fulfill you. You want to know why porn is so hard to beat? It's because it gives you a high but that high won't last. It, 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 you'll always thirst again. You with me? You'll always want more, and it has more and more. You want to know why power is so addictive? It's because as soon as you have it, what do you want? The high wears off and you want more. You know why relationships that make us feel good and make us feel, feel fulfilled and make somebody, we just feel loved, you know why they're so addictive? because we'll always just want more of them. Like, because ultimately they can't satisfy us, only Jesus can satisfy us. You see, one of the sure evidences that you have not drank from the living water is that you are unstable like this woman, moving from one thing to another, trying to temporarily fill your water jog with satisfaction, with pleasure. But when this woman truly understands who Jesus is, the truth about him, then look at what happens. Verse 25, the woman said, I know 
that Messiah called the Christ is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus said, that's me, I'm him. And look at what happened in verse 28. Then leaving her water jar, the thing that she came thirsting for, the purpose for coming out there, she found something much better. And when you find Jesus, you will leave those addictive substitutes, the things that you crave over and over again, you will leave those at his feet. And so my question for you tonight is what are the addictive substitutes in your life, the things you have been trying to fill that void with, that void that was only made for one? What are you trying to fill it with? And is it time to go and lay that jar at the feet of Jesus and to turn around and walk away and to leave it there? Does that mean you're gonna be perfect? No, I told you that before. You're gonna screw up. But there's only one way to continue to go towards Jesus, and that is when you mess up, you pick yourself up, you drag that sin into the light, and you take another step towards him. And then the next day you take another step, and then the next day you take another step, and then you're gonna get confused, things are gonna happen, and you're gonna screw up again, and you know what you need to do? You don't need to fall, you don't need to make it another New Year's resolution for 2024, you need to drag that sin into the light with a group of friends, a group of buddies, a group of girls, you need to drag it into the light, and you need to take another step towards Jesus. The Christian life is not about these, these hard sprints to Jesus. I just get there as quick as I can. Let's go, let's go. And I'm going to mess up and I fall away and then I just quit running. It's about taking the next step and taking the next step and one small step at a time. And we leave that water jar. And we leave it at his feet. Let's pray. God. What an honor and a privilege it is to be able to come and talk to you and to ask God I pray right now that that my prayer contains things that you like to say yes to Lord I think there's a way we can pray in such a way where you like to say yes to those things Lord you gave us that example to pray that your kingdom come and that your will be done. So I pray for that in here today. I pray that your name would be lifted among all other names, that it will be hallowed. Not that we can set you apart as holy, you are holy, but that we recognize that you're holy. God, we pray for your kingdom to come. God, I pray that your kingdom grows tonight. That if there are people in here that have been searching this world over for things that will bring them pleasure and satisfaction, God, that you would show them yourself tonight. That you would, they would be filled with living water and that water would overflow, that it would bubble over. God, we pray for your will to be done. We know it is your desire for all men to come to yourself. And so, Lord, whatever may be standing in the way of that happening tonight, whether it be spiritual, 
forces, whether it be our pride that keeps us gripping a chair when we know that we need to take this sin that we've been dealing with and drag it into the light. God, remove our pride. Remove our barriers. Remove the things that keep us from really getting real with somebody. And most importantly, getting real with you because we know we can't hide anything from you. So Lord, we stand tonight bare, knowing that you know everything about us and still knowing that you love us anyway. What a glorious, humbling thing that is. That you can see what I'm doing when nobody else does and you still sit your son and that you still love me. So God, work in this place. Holy Spirit, work in this place today. I pray that water jugs are laid down all over this auditorium. In Jesus' name, amen. We're gonna sing a song, a couple of songs. And there are gonna be people down here at the front. You probably came here today with people you know. And there's not a better time than the first FCA of 2023 to drag some of the things in the light that I know you have on your mind right now. And so there will be people's prayer team that got the little necklaces on. I would encourage you to come down, grab one of them. Listen, they're not gonna judge you. They're not gonna laugh at you. They're not gonna spread rumors about you. They're not gonna point their finger at you, tell you you're doing the wrong thing. You might be. But you know what? They're not gonna condemn you for that. They're gonna love you through that and they're gonna help drag that out into the light so that you can deal with it together so grab a friend grab one of these guys and let's not fight the devil in the dark amen all right let's stand let's sing